The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. And for the first time in 2019, the lights have taken full effect. From backdoor sliders to the batter's eye, and finally, up to the booth, Ken Korak takes you inside the game with Taking Effect. Now, here's the voice of the A's, Ken Korak. On our second edition of the Taking Effect podcast, we're coming to you on a beautiful day from Camden Yards in Baltimore, recording this on a Wednesday with the great Susan Slusser, the longtime, of course, beat writer, all of you know this anyway. She doesn't really need an introduction, but the longtime beat writer for The Chronicle. She's had a wonderful career, and she was nice enough to invite me to write a book with her for Triumph Books called If These Walls Could Talk, Stories from the Oakland A's. And I want to talk about the book a little bit with you and some things that are in the book and maybe some stuff that's not in the book that, that our listeners might be interested in. And as I said, we're, we're recording this, Susan, on, on Wednesday before the A's play the Orioles, and then... Uh, the A's with a day game tomorrow, and the A's are going to fly after the game to Dallas and get ready to play the Rangers on Friday night. Now, you're going to stay over, and you're going to fly on Friday on the day of the game. And I was wondering, because we, we each wrote a chapter in the book about travel, and we do things totally differently. We do very Because different. I'm really lucky that, that we can fly on, on charter jets. So how do you arrange the travel? How do you work all that out? How far ahead do you book the hotels and your hotel reservations? And what's the most important thing for you when you set all that up? Uh, the most important thing to, for me, and as I, I mentioned in the in the book, is don't ever check a bag. That's the key to traveling commercial, which you don't have to do, darn it. You're so lucky. Flying Just Air, rub it in. Air Mickey is, is probably the primo travel, but I do get miles and you don't. So, uh, yeah, I book all my own travel. Um, I go with, we have sort of a corporate travel like app that we use through the Hearst Corporation, which the Chronicle is part of, of Hearst. And uh, I try to book all my flights about two months out, um, but I'm always looking for good deals. You know, newspapers are not the cash cows they used to be in the 80s and 90s. So I'm, I'm very careful. For that reason, hotel reservations, I will go back and double check, triple check, quadruple check cities sometimes, especially the more expensive cities, uh, for just to get the best rates. I, I stay at Hilton's. I stay at Marriott's. I don't really discriminate between the two of them. Wherever's got the best rate and is most convenient to the ballpark, I'll, I'll stay there. But I'll do laundry in the middle of a three-city trip to avoid checking a bag. Really, that's that's the key. But doing my own travel is great because if I mess up, and I do occasionally, um, I don't have anybody to blame but myself. And, and I've seen others who have had like their bosses book their trips and stuff. And when your boss books, <laughs> books your trip and messes it up, what do you do? <laughs> you can't really complain yeah, too much. I but I know that's happened to some local TV people over the years. Uh, but I have had my share of travel nightmares. So I know what the, our next trip coming up has has Toronto in it. So I will bring my passport this time because you'll remember once in Boston, mm-hmm. I showed up to check in for my Air Canada flight mm-hmm. and was baffled why they asked for my passport, which I had not brought with me. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that was a rookie mistake. It really was. And that was only about <laughs> 10 years ago. So, yeah. Oops. Uh, I learned my lesson on that one. Yeah, I've had a, f- I've had a few. I um, returned a rental car to the wrong airport once, which was mm-hmm. not, that wasn't great. Missed a flight there. So, yeah. I've only, those are the only two flights I've actually missed in my own volition. But I once had a... Um, cab driver lock my suitcase in his trunk with his keys in the trunk and that was I, I did miss that flight but that was obviously not my fault so yeah. it happens over sure. the course of 20 plus years <laughs> I've <laughs> always said that, that I have a love-hate relationship with the travel because even though we fly on charter jets and they really take care of us and the hotels are great 
Uh, when you're flying 50 or 55,000 miles a year, it can still wear you out. Uh, we do take advantage of some of the opportunities in the cities we visit, the museums and things like that, going out and doing stuff. I've had two great lunches so far here in Baltimore. How are you doing with the travel? Are you okay with it, or, or uh, by the end of the season, does it wear you out? It mostly doesn't bother me. Um, I like traveling. I, I've got friends in almost every city we go to. Um, I had lunch with a friend today, my friend Patrice from high school, which was wonderful. I had lunch with my friend Jody in uh, Houston, had lunch with my friend Jeff in Houston. So uh, that part's great. But every once in a while, like coming out of Houston to Baltimore, I had a three and a half hour delay in at Houston. And wound, I got to my airport at 3.30 in the morning. So that's okay. I'm going to say that's not ideal. <laughs> Luckily, it was a night game the next day. So I could sleep in. Uh, and those are the kind of things you deal with with modern travel. Every plane is packed. Uh, it's not, you know, traveling 10, 15, 20 years ago used to be very different. Mm. Bigger seats, far more room, fewer people on flights. Um, everybody treated everybody a little more kindly in the middle of air travel. And flying commercial, that's just not the case anymore. It all, it all seems, seems to keep going the wrong way. But, uh, you know, if, if you catch me in Kansas City in August and it's 100 degrees with 300% humidity, I might, be, I might not be as excited about the travel that day as I usually am. But I, I, by and large, I love traveling. My husband's the opposite. Mm-hmm. When he covered the Giants for three years, he, I think that's when he learned he really does not enjoy travel. He's very much a homebody. Uh, even football was a little too much for him. So uh, we, I guess we balance out. But you had a romantic get-together with him when he was on the Giants beat, you were on the A's beat, and you met for lunch in Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. I mean, that is one of the real hot, <laughs> romantic hotspots, I think. Yeah, we, we uh, had uh, lunch at the Marriott uh, Columbus, because we're sports writers. We're like, well, where do we meet? I guess the Marriott. So, yeah, that was, that was, uh, th- it was a strange three years, you know, because the Giants and A's have backward schedules. One's usually home while the other one's gone. We just didn't really see each other very much during the baseball season. And there were a lot of times where I could fly in from somewhere and pick up the car that he'd left in short-term parking like an hour before. Uh, it happened numerous times. So that was, you know, not ideal, but yeah. we, we made it through it. There are things that I think we did when we were younger that we did then that we wouldn't do now. Like when I was working for the White Sox, I commuted for four straight years for 22 straight weeks across country, basically, from Las Vegas to wherever they were playing. I mean, if they were playing in New York, there were times when I would leave on Saturday morning and fly back on Sunday night. So um, I wouldn't do it now. I'm a lot older now than I was then. Um, There's this great piece of writing in the book, and you talk about uh, your earlier days as a sports writer, and I think it was Sacramento where the sports editor said he didn't want you to, maybe he was reluctant to put you on the beat because you were too delicate too, for the it was that the delicate. word that you used yes, too delicate for I think that I think he meant the travel I don't I can't imagine he meant me covering games because I was the backup baseball writer so he knew I could cover baseball games so yeah I think he thought that the life on the road is going to be too too tough to me so for I've been you know between Tex Orlando Texas and now here I've spent more than the la- more than 25 years on the road so I think I'm doing okay there are teams that are easier to cover than others so when you have a team that is is really fun to cover, and the players and the manager are, are great with the media. That makes your job a whole lot easier. How would you describe your relationship with Bob Melba? Oh, he's the best. I mean, it, the manager is so important for all of us. You know, any member of the media, we typically are talking to him as writers. We're talking to him twice a day, before the game and after the game. Uh, you need somebody. He, he just gets it. He absolutely gets it. He knows it's part of his job. He doesn't make it difficult. He tries to give you exactly what you're looking for. He understands 
I think he I think he actually puts thought into what might they be asking me today or what what are the most likely questions they're going to ask me after the game because he seems to so often have a really good appropriate answer for pretty much anything you can throw at him. Uh, that has not always been the case here. We've had some managers who either weren't that comfortable doing media or who didn't enjoy doing the media. And there are probably days Bob Melvin would prefer not to deal with us. You know, everybody has bad days. The team has bad days. Sometimes the questions aren't great. Sometimes we're a bunch of idiots. I'm sure he would uh, just assume that every single day he didn't have to talk to all of us twice. Uh, but you would never guess. You would absolutely never guess. He, he makes it absolutely as smooth as possible. It's, it's delightful. I, I think we've all been so lucky to have him here. And when we interviewed him for the book, and we, we talked to, to Bo Mel about a lot of different subjects, and one of those subjects involved dealing with the media, because we both, like like you said, he's so great. I do the Bo Mel show every day. He's mad at me today because he was texting me yesterday from his office, and he wanted to do the show a little earlier, and my phone was in the broadcast booth, and I was in the dugout so yeah, he, uh, let us know. He, yeah. he, he let us know he wandered by us and said does quack sometimes remind you of mr magoo <laughs> he couldn't find you he thought yeah. you were lost I think. yeah i am lost a lot whether or not my i'm with my phone or not i mean lost is kind of a a common state for me but i think he's grown from that standpoint and he talked about it because when he started with uh the mariners all those years ago um i don't think that he maybe understood or felt that the that it would Dealing with the media to him back then was no more than an obligation. I think now he really tries to do a good job, and I think he really gets the fact that for that time that he's talking with you or the rest of the writers or me, that in a way he's the spokesperson uh, spokesperson for the organization. Oh, I think he absolutely does. I mean, he is, you know, I've always felt throughout the 21-ish years that I've covered the, the A's full-time that Billy Bean's really been the face of the franchise, but you could put Bob Melvin just a half step below him because he really is, he's such a good representative for the team. They know that. I mean, I the, that's one really great thing is the front office clearly knows what they have in Bob Melvin. Billy's even said, like, he's going to be my last manager. He really appreciates what he brings up, and that's part of it. He deals with the media so well, and it's a, it's not nothing. There have been plenty of managers and general managers who have gone into situations and not dealt with the media and it's hurt them and some and in some cases cost them their job fair fair or not it's not easy and he <laughs> really does it he just he just get, he's an it getter he gets it mm-hmm. he, he knows what we're doing he you know he almost seems like he appreciates it sometimes he's really good to us Susan Slusser is joining us on our taking effect podcast on A's access on the TuneIn app and also on uh you can download all the stuff uh, that we do uh, at athletics.com slash podcast, and we're thrilled with that. It's a beautiful day in Baltimore at, at uh, their great ballpark, Camden Yards, as we record this before the A's play of the Orioles on the Wednesday night. This is the, uh, the 10th of April uh, today. As, as you wrote your chapters in the book, Susan, was there anything that you wrote that was hard for you to write? Yeah, I mean, I you know the gender thing always is, is stuff. I, as you, you remember going back to our very first interview that you did with me when my first year on the beat, you know, I just I, I it makes me uncomfortable when people bring up the the gender thing. Obviously, when I very first started, there were very few women covering baseball, very few. I think Cheryl Rosenberg from the Orange County Register and I were the only ones in the American League, so it was a valid question. But it just always kind of seems like I'm just a reporter, like everybody else, mm-hmm. like it's no big whoop. 
Um, so, but it is something that has to be addressed because it is unusual. This day and age, there are so many women. As you know, in the Oakland Clubhouse, there are often more women reporters than male reporters among the print media. Uh, so it's, it's really not, I think, a big deal. But people always want to know about it. Uh, and I do understand there are lots of young women out there who want to get into sports media and want to know the stories and how you got your job and the things you've dealt with. So I felt a responsibility to do that. But, yeah, there were a few things along those lines I was uncomfortable writing about. A few run-ins with a couple of players here and there that I, you know, I wanted at the but time. But you did share that in I the book. I did. I did. And at the time, they were things that I did not want made public because I watched my friend Lisa Olson essentially get hounded out of the country uh, in the wake of the issues that she had with uh, the New England Patriots. She wound up, they switched her from football to, none, none of it her fault, obviously. She's horribly, horribly sexually harassed by the Patriots. Um, they switched her onto the Bruins beat because, you know, she couldn't, clearly couldn't stand the Patriots beat, and, like, fans were spitting on her, things like that. I mean, so she just left. She, she moved to Australia for quite some time as a result. So I very much did not. My friend Jennifer Fry had a pretty well-known run-in with Jack Morris, uh, and she was on the the wrong end of some publicity very unfairly. So uh, I just didn't, you know, there were one of the incidents I write, write about, there were a number of other reporters there who saw it and all wanted to write it. And I, and I said, please, I'm fine. Just do not, you know, I don't want this to be a thing. It's not a thing. Right. I'm totally fine. And I was, I was totally fine. But in the interests of fairness, because people always ask, I didn't. I did mention yeah. it, just not naming any names yeah well, it might be fairly obvious yeah, maybe <laughs> in, in, one, in case, one case for sure how do you write when you sit down now it's it's different writing a game story than writing a book or chapters in a book so when you sit down to write a chapter do you have an outline do you have notes you work with or do you just sit down and whatever comes into your head you uh, you put down on the computer I mean what's the process that you go through Susan when you're writing for a book you know what? I th- it actually, it's funny. Uh, Mike Puma, the, um, one of the New York baseball writers, asked me the same thing today um, because he's just starting a, a book for Triumph and if, if These Walls Could Talk book on the Mets. And it kind of changes by day to day. I, I kind of do it more chapter by chapter. And some chapters, I think you just sit down and start writing. And some you really you want to take your time and figure out what's the order. Um, do I need to talk to anybody else? You know, what, what's going to go into this? Is there research? Uh, so it's it's really case by, probably case by case, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think that you want to write what you're interested in. Right. right? You have to have a passion for it. Yes. And I found for me, because I was really a neophyte at this when I wrote the Bill King book, and I had great help from my editors, uh, from Pete Danko and Steve Ketman. But, I mean, number one, I think, for me anyway, that I have to have a passion for what I'm going to write about. Because then the words seem to flow out in a more authentic way, yeah. and, and it's real, and, and there might even be some emotion in it. The other thing that I found, because people always ask about writer's block, and I found even on those, those days, when I mean, there are days you don't feel like writing and you're not going to write, where just let it go. Right. Just sit down and write, and don't be obsessed if the, if the sentences are perfect or all the words are spelled right. You can go back and look up some of the research if you've gotten some facts wrong, and just let it go. And I found that some of the best stuff comes because of that. Yeah, and you know what? I always tell people when they ask about writer's block, because I, you know, I write you know, thousands of stories a year, more than that probably. 
you can start in the middle of something. You could start at the end if you kind of got an idea where you might, might want it to go or what you kind of want to get. Just kind of start writing the things you know are going to go in, and then you can figure it out from there. You don't have to start at the beginning ever. Um, newspaper writers seldom do, you know, especially baseball writers. If we're writing on a tight deadline, you're kind of filling in almost from the bottom, and then you kind of figure out what you, you how you want to get into it in the later stages of the game. Because otherwise, you especially in, in sports, you might be writing an awful lot of leads if you if you don't wait until close to the end of the game. I was asked today about, because of where I started my first job in broadcasting at this little station, this great station, KTOB Radio in Petaluma, California, which was an, like all-around broadcasting education. We did everything. That's what you did in small market radio back then. And those stations are dinosaurs. It may not be as difficult as it is now for writers because of the way things are going with newspapers. And, I mean, it's just... It's really hard now because people, great people are getting let go. Yeah. Newspapers are going by the wayside. Do you have advice for young people who want to write and want to write for newspapers and to still go ahead and try to do that? Well, if it's newspaper specific, that's tough because, um, you know, the staffs are much smaller. Um, I look at a place like Sacramento where I started, and when I got there, I, think, I believe there were 18 sports writers, and I think they are down now to either – two or three. They had three, and I think they lost one. I'm not sure if they're hiring, but I mean, that's just an extraordinary difference. You look at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which was, was once one of the newspaper gems of the country, uh, and they've laid off more than 50% of their staff in recent years. It's really it's really been hard to see. Um, but, you know, th there's always going to be a thirst for written content, uh, and newspapers still will, you know, they have openings every now and then. Their most major metro papers are still operating at close to, to full capacity. And, you know, eventually there are jobs that open up. I just uh, talked to a couple. Baltimore seems to be a place where there, there seems to be a pretty healthy turnover in writers. And they've got a couple young writers here, which is kind of funny because the team is so young. It's kind of fitting. Um, but there are a lot of websites that have kind of filled in the gaps. Uh, and you can find almost a website for almost anything to write any sport, any interest, uh, and get some good experience and often get paid for it. Um, you look at the league and team websites. You look at places like The Athletic, where my husband works now. Uh, and you know, all, most of the TV outlets have their own websites. There are just even radio stations. KNBR has a website where um, Kerry Crowley, who works for the San Jose Mercury News covering the Giants, he got his start there. Uh, so I, I think there are lots of ways to get experience. And then if you really want to work for a newspaper, uh, kind of you might have to wait your turn or apply for an off, to an off, off lot of newspapers. But you, it can be done. So we did a bunch of interviews for the book. And uh, we ran the interviews as Q&As. And that kind of evolved over time because I know that we, going looking back, we both thought we had people we needed to talk to in an interview. Right. But then the way that morphed, it was like these interviews are so great. The people were so compelling and instrumental in really the, in some cases, the development of the A's as an organization. Why not just leave them in there as Q&As? And thanks to Allison Mast, who did all the transcribing, because that was an amazing effort. Was there one interview that stood out to you or one that where you might have been surprised by some of the answers? Oh, man, it's really tough to, um, to pick one. Uh, one of my favorites was our friend Jonas Rivera, who was our fan interview. Uh, he's, uh, you know, one of the main guys at Pixar, Oscar-winning producer of uh, Inside, uh, um, Inside, Inside Out. Out. Inside Out, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's wonderful. And he encapsulates the fan experience so perfectly. Li you know, lifelong A's fan. 
whose father took him to games when he was a kid. Now he's taking his children. Uh, and his, the way he's, you've talked about this a lot too, the way he's been able to kind of compare animation and baseball and kind of what goes into it and the artistry and the way it affects people and and the ethos of Oakland and Pixar and the A's and the Raiders. It, I, I just loved it. I love that chapter. But I learned something from, I think, every single person we talked to. There were all sorts of interesting tidbits and revelations and memories and I uh, that was just a phenomenal phenomenal way to go I think you and I debated a lot like how are we gonna mm-hmm. the two of us are not interesting enough for a whole book how are we gonna <laughs> that's fill for in the sure rest of it? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think uh, it wound up being far more interesting than I ever would have thought because these people were so gracious with their time and so honest and thorough in talking to us about, uh, you know, all the things that we wanted to get through. Yeah, Jonas, and he talked about how the the vibe, and I don't mean this, I mean this as a, as a positive, the funky vibe in Oakland yeah. and kind of the renegade attitude that some people have in Oakland helped to spawn the creativity of Pixar, and that was tied to the A's, and he felt the A's being in Oakland was one of the reasons why the A's have been so successful. Yeah, I love that. I thought that was absolutely wonderful. You kind of the, that, yeah, that rene- blue collar renegade, you know, number two in the Bay Area, kind of always trying harder. That that whole ethos, and yeah, I, there's a lot to be said for that. You know that the current conversation now is: Are the Warriors going to kind of lose that moving to San Francisco? Mm-hmm. Do will they, they be too corporate? Will they be too corporate? Do will the atmosphere at a new arena be the same? I, I uh, saw some opposing coach the other day saying. Man, I you know I sure hope they don't have this atmosphere over there, yeah. and and they might not. You you might wind up losing it. I, Oakland is a very special place, uh, for all the reasons Jonas mentions. It was your idea to get Dennis Eckersley to get the great Eck to do the forward for the book. How did you come about that idea? Because um, I thought it was a great idea. I, I think it worked out really well. Well, I just you know every time you talk to Eck about his time in Oakland. You can tell how special it was for him. You know, he's from the Bay Area, he's from Fremont, obviously played, was one of the all-time greatest A's players. So for me, it was between him and Ricky. I knew we would we would get one of them for an interview and one for the forward. Uh, but when we could, sat down with Eck and asked him if he wanted to do it, he was so excited and really interested in it. And he had so many good things to say. He, he just wound up being perfect. Uh, you know, Billy did the forward for my first A's book. And Billy was phenomenal, but I, I didn't think we could go back to that well twice. And obviously we talked to David Forrest as one of our interviews in here too, and he was terrific. But Eck just seemed absolutely fantastic, and he was. Although, uh, as my husband mentioned, like if it's Dennis Eckersley, he's doing the forward, shouldn't he be closing the book? <laughs> exactly. Well, Ricky Henderson is the first interview in the book. Up, so yeah. at least we covered ourselves there with uh, with Ricky kind of leading off. Exactly, yeah. That's a, he also led off my first book, too. He said, I mean, those are two of the most special people you know, in baseball history, not just A's history. So to have them associated with this is so great. So we've given them both books, which yeah. is great. Um, but when I gave Ricky his book during spring training, I said, oh, here's your book. And he said, oh, will you sign it for mm-hmm. me? And I just about fainted. I like yeah. fell over like Ricky Henderson <laughs> asking me <laughs> to sign something. I felt really, really like a fraud, but it was awesome. Yeah, I, I remember when Tony LaRusso wanted him, he says, he said, I really want your Bill King book, but I wouldn't take it unless you autograph it. I think you're in the Hall of Fame. I'm just the guy doing the games. And you want me to sign know, really a book that, that, that I wrote? We both wrote about our parents in the yes. book. I wrote about my dad. And I talked to him on the phone today. He's 100 years old and wrote about my mom. And that was, I think, a pretty emotional chapter yeah. to write and poignant with my mom having 
uh, committed suicide when I was 21. And you write a lot about your parents and how uh, your mom was a was an A's fan almost A's literally fan. to the day that she died. Yes, she was a huge Ray Fossey huge fan, Ray right? Ray Fossey fan. Yeah, yeah, she's. I think she uh, loved Ray Fossey's work on the A's. I think even more than mine. <laughs> she just she had a huge. Like, crush. come on, mom! I'm covering the <laughs> team too. Also covering the team. Yeah. yeah. No, she would go like, you know what Ray Fossey said the other day? He said blah blah blah. I'm like, yeah, I wrote that. You. Know. Uh, but yeah, she absolutely loved Ray Fossey uh, and loved the A's and. Toward the end of her life, she was not in very good health for a couple of years. And that 2012 team did so much good for her. I can't tell you. It really, I think it got her through that year, which was a really tough year. It was so, such a fun team. I mean, I loved that team anyway. I think we all did. It was very special, really delightful. But um, for that reason, I'll always have a little extra fondness in my heart for that team. And yeah, and I wrote about my dad, who's the one who started me. He was the driving in, force. Yeah, got me into baseball. He, they, I really wasn't allowed to watch TV, and he sat down and watched baseball with me one day and explained it to me. And I was like, oh, well, this is something he'll let me watch. And he did it in such a good way. You know, he really did a nice job of explaining the batter-pitcher matchups and the count and why the count's important, and I, I just ate it all up. So, yeah, we have a, a, I think we both have a nice debt to our parents, and I think wrote about them well. And, you know, you and I talked so much about your mom, and to me that's really um, the most, uh, it's still, I, I kind of get chills and a little choked up sometimes either reading about your mom or talking about your mom when we're, when we're talking about the book with people because it's really, that's what I think, that's the must read in this book is you writing about your mom. And it was framed around Dallas Braden's perfect yes. game on Mother's Day, which still goes down as I think one of the great Hollywood stories in the history of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, tying the two of those together certainly makes sense because I know that day was so difficult for both of you, but that experience from that day for the two of you and so how cathartic it was and you know what a marvelous day it was in general plus then there's the whole funny thing about Dallas not knowing the count and thinking that you'd screwed it up right. which I also love yeah. like the, everything about that that chapter is marvelous but there's also some humor to go along with you know the mm -hmm. obviously the the horrible circumstances that you had to deal with when you were just 21. Well we both have some work to do here today with the ball game coming up so thanks Aww. for the visit yeah, we have to yeah work. and thanks oh, for doing right. thanks for doing this book Absolutely. book with me and well, uh, and I have to say, you, I'm going to correct something you said initially, because you said um, I was nice enough to invite you to do this, and really, I was smart enough to invite you to do this. I wouldn't have done it with anybody else. You were just an absolute no, pleasure to work I with, know. and it was a delight. She's always far too kind, uh, and the book is If These Walls Could Talk, stories from the Oakland A's, the great Susan Slusser joining me on our Taking Effect podcast for today. Stay tuned. We'll have much more programming coming up right after this. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.